If you have your Bible, turn to Luke, the 15th chapter, and just pause there for a moment till I get to it. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, he says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Here Jesus is letting us know that the broad way is not always the best way or the best avenue to travel. In spite of the broad way, having the best of everything, the best restaurants, the best hotels, the best businesses, the best jobs. It also offers a lot of pleasure, a lot of thrills, a lot of spills. And Jesus is letting us know that the majority of humanity is going to be lost because they're going to opt for the easier way to live. Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But everybody's trying to save their life. They're trying to get the most out of life. They want to enjoy all the thrills, everything there is out there to do. They're eager for something to really move them and thrill them and excite them and make them happy. But Jesus said, that's the broad way. And most people are going to go the easiest way. The way that the flesh wants to go. The way that our carnal spirit wants to bring us. You see, sin does offer pleasure for a season. But sin doesn't satisfy. Sin doesn't fulfill. If sin really satisfied and sin really fulfilled people, then after one sin, people would turn away from it. But sin is deceitful. Sin is a trap. And it has ensnared millions and millions and millions of people. Therefore, the easier way, the way that the flesh wants to go, the way that our carnal instincts wants to go, is what appeals to the majority of, of humanity. But Jesus said, to go that way, you're going to find destruction. You're going to lose your soul. And he said, because the gate is narrow, because, the, the, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way, because we've got to live with restraints, we've got to live under rules, We've got to live within the boundaries of God's word. Most people don't want the restraints. They want to live like they want to live. They want to do what they want to do. Look at what's happening in our country. 
They're marching, they're screaming, they're carrying signs in the streets, and they're doing and desiring and love to do the things that God's word says are wrong. It's an abomination. It's a sin. And yet they're marching and they're envious and they're desirous of doing all the wrong things instead of doing the right thing. The point is this. The majority of people that come into this world Jesus just said it. They're going to be lost. Because the devil has a whole array of attraction and deception waiting to ensnare and destroy the lives. This is what Jesus is warning us about in the very next verse. He says, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. There are ravening wolves waiting for you, waiting for your children, waiting for your grandchildren, waiting to destroy your life, destroy your home, destroy your church, and more importantly, destroy your soul. They're out there by the millions. The broad way is the wrong way. And Jesus lets us know there will be great spiritual losses. In spite of the fact that God has given us the power of choice, the majority of humanity throughout every generation will choose not to be Christians, not to accept Christ's forgiveness from the cross, and choose not to let Jesus Christ be the Lord of their lives. Now, as we turn to Luke 15, I want you to listen very carefully. I'm just going to fly through these parables. Luke 15, verse 1. Then drew near unto him the publicans and sinners to hear him. That was, they were drawn close. They wanted to hear what this Jesus had to say. And while all the sinners and the publicans and all those of ill repute were rushing to hear what Jesus said, the religious bureaucracy shows up the Pharisees and the scribes, and they start murmuring, saying, this man receiveth sinners and eats with them. They started to ridicule and find fault with Jesus because his purpose in life was to come and to seek and to save the lost. He was there to help those who were down and out. He came to save the underdogs. He came to reach into the fiery pits of hell and pull out sinners before it was too late. But the religious bureaucracy of the day, they found fault with that. And then Jesus, now with that background, then Jesus spoke this parable. 
What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he leaveth it on the show. He, he, he lift, lay it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. I say unto you, that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman, second parable, either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Then the third parable. And a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said of his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger got, son got all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. Whenever you turn your back on God and turn your eyes on the world, and try to get the joy and the pleasure and the fulfillment in the world, you know what's going to happen? You're, a famine is going to come. You're going to realize one day that the world doesn't have what you really want. I remember as a teenager, before I joined the army, and the, and the first year and a half of my tour, I, 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 I was a Hades raiser. I was a hellion, and I went out and I partied, and I spent uh, my life in riotous living. But every night that I came home and sat on the side of my bed, I became psychologically slain with the fact that whatever I was doing that night in the world, it didn't satisfy me. I came home empty. Something was missing. And what was missing was the life of Christ living in my heart and in my life. I'm here to tell you this morning, sin does not pay. And this world is not your friend. This world, does it pretends to be your friend. It wants you to think that it's going to make you happy and all the advertisements, everything out there is being advertised by the world to, to make you think it's going to make you happier if you wear this dress or, or put this perfume on or drive this car or wear these clothes. The world doesn't have what you're looking for. And you all know the story of the prodigal son.
Jesus said in Matthew 18 and 11 and Luke 19 and 10, he defined his mission for the church. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now listen to me. That is the main purpose that God saved us for. Before he left, he said, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power on high. And when the Spirit of God comes, he's going to give you power to be witnesses unto me unto the othermost parts of the earth. When Jesus left, he turned what his purpose was in this world to save sinners, he turned it over to you and I. He turned that task over for you and I to follow his footsteps and like Jesus sought to seek out the lost, you and I now have that task to do. But we can't do it without power. We can't do it. That's why we have the gospel. The gospel is the power of God under salvation. Jesus is entrusting us with his assignment. And he says, follow me. Take up my cross. Follow me. That's what we're here for. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. We are here to be laborers together with God for the salvation of souls. That is the bottom line of our existence. We are here to minimize the losses of God's creation. To be a Christian means to become a laborer together with God in his endless search for the lost. God is trusting us with the most sacred task of saving souls. He has trusted, his, he has trusted uh, us with this task. He, he has taken a divine task, as it were, and he has put it into the hands of humans. You and I have the privilege, the honor, to walk as he walked, to follow the Lord and to do the assignment that he came. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He sent his son into the world to keep you and I from perishing. He went back to heaven and he said, now you and you and you and you take over and do the work that I came to do. So Jesus pictures what it means to be lost. It is like being a helpless sheep alone in the darkness and dangers of the night. Helpless before enemies and unable to find their way home. There are those who are lost by reason of ignorance and stupidity. But sheep 
sheep don't intentionally go astray. Sheep just put their heads down and they nibble their way away from the shepherd. Jesus is showing us certain kinds of people who are going to be lost. Some worse than others. But all the sheep do is nibble itself astray. The simple cares, what Jesus is talking about, the simple cares of life so occupy the sheep that they have no time for the shepherd. They love the shepherd. The shepherd protects them. But they get so busy nibbling at the world, nibbling at what life provides for them, and they just keep their heads down and they keep nibbling and nibbling until one day they wake up and they realize they're lost. Now they're in the territory of their enemies. They're in the territory of those who want to kill them. Those that want to destroy them. You may think you're smart. You may think you'll be able to go out into this world and, and, and get the most out of it. You leave God out of your life. The Bible says when you're without Christ, you're without strength. You're a sitting duck. Satan will deceive you every time. We are no match for the devil. We are no match for the world. We're no match for our flesh. Without the power of God upholding us. Many, many souls, what Jesus is saying, belong to this class. They get their heads down to making money, enjoying whatever they can get out of life. Minor fascinations ensnare them until they forget or ignore the wonderful fascinations of their shepherd. They have no certain aims in life and without any convictions or constraining ideals, they are at the mercy of the world's trends, lifestyles, and temptations. You can say, no God for me. No time for God. Don't believe that nonsense. Put your life in neutral. And the current in this world is moving so fast, it will take you a million miles away from God. And when you get away from God, you don't have a defense. You don't have any strength. You don't even have the wisdom to overcome what the world, what the devil, and what the flesh is desiring to do in your life. They come into the world, and they take the world as they find it. And in a lot of cases, they are feebly virtuous, they are friendly, and the world does what it likes with them. They follow the herds. They follow the trends. They follow the multitudes. And they just go wherever the winds and the currents take them. This description speaks of our Lord's tender sympathy for the souls who are carelessly wandering, carelessly wandering away from him and is almost reluctant to charge it upon them as sin. Nevertheless, 
it is wrong. There are people who politely walk away from God. There are people who say, oh yes, I believe in God. But their lives don't demonstrate a consecration. Their lives don't demonstrate the kind of life that God called them to live. And so they just live. They just keep nibbling away, doing their own thing. They're not bad people. They're not evil people. They're not wicked people. They're just people who are too busy and have no time for God. And they're nibbling and nibbling and nibbling away at life. And they wake up and they're lost. Nevertheless, politeness and being a good person is not enough to get us to heaven. It is wrong and criminal to ignore God through a lifetime. The Bible says all nations that forget God, America is becoming a nation that has forgotten God. And the Bible says all nations that forget God will be turned into hell. Look at them. Look at them in our streets. Look at them in, in our uh, uh, high positions. Look at them on every level, in every institution. Wickedness, evil, deception, fraud, greed is getting into the system. And it is destroying people by the millions. The second type of the lost are those who are stray and remain lost through the fault of others rather than of their own. The lost coin did not lose itself. It was not its own doing that it was allowed to roll out of sight and into a dark, dirty corner. It was not its fault that it remained there, becoming more and more tarnished and unlike anything precious and becoming covered over with dust and dirt. This speaks, this parable speaks of the masses who have no power to resist the pressures of circumstances and temptations than the piece of silver when it dropped to the ground and rolled away into a dark, dirty corner. And however much we may want to say, listen to me carefully, no matter how much we may want to say, everybody has the freedom of will and lays stress on personal responsibility, and yes, that's all true. But in America today, we must admit that environment and bad leadership counts for a great deal in the tainting and destroying of souls. Did you hear me? We can no longer say that in America, everybody has a fair chance. No longer true. Because we forgot God and wickedness and all kinds of evil are coming into our country. And because our leaders have went astray, now our youngins are in jeopardy. We can't even put our kids in school without them being brainwashed, told that America is a bad place and they're racist, and they're this, and they're that, and then teaching them all that ugly, God, ungodly stuff about sexuality. America is no longer a fair place to live for many, many people. 
We can no longer say that America is a place where everybody has a fair chance. Why? Because when we legalize and we celebrate and we make available and we make accessible all kinds of ungodliness in all kinds of forms in every city in America, then we can't say America is a fair place. The evil fruit is hanging low on the trees in America. Our kids at six, seven, and eight-year-old are being influenced by ungodliness. They're seeing things. They're hearing things. They're being taught things that no child should ever be taught. Right here in Newark, Ohio, I saw the curriculum. I read what they're teaching our kids. Do you know why Christian schools are growing? Homeschooling is growing? Because people, parents, have enough sense not to put their kids in public schools anymore. Because the devil has taken over the curriculum in our public schools. The fruit's hanging low. And our poor kids, they're being eaten alive. Jesus is talking about the types of sinners, the types of people that are going to be lost. The lost coin didn't lose itself. What happened? We can no longer say, I'm repeating, in America, everybody has a fair chance. You mean they have a fair chance? In cities where they defund the police? Where they turn criminals loose to maim and assault men, women, and children and kill one another freely in our big cities? Open our borders to millions of illegals not knowing the quality of their lifestyle is a deliberate invasion upon happiness in America. Was that true what you told me the other day, last night? I called the police, and it's true. An unmarked bus pulled into Walmart right here on 21st Street. And there was a policeman, a government policeman, guarding them. And they just let a whole busload of illegal immigrants out in Newark, Ohio. Illegal and supported with our tax dollars by our stupid leaders. I'm not against helping people. I'm not against foreigners coming in. If my grandparents didn't come in, I wouldn't even be here. Evil, iniquity is abounding. It's running over in our streets. And things are happening in this country the way they're happening because God's judgment has fallen upon America. 
And what about the children who are being exposed to lust and degradation and want and wretchedness? Who from their cribs are unclothed, unfed, and unloved, and from the kindergarten are surrounded by all kinds of tempting curriculums and nurtured in every kind of ungodliness and wickedness. The lost coin is nobody's child, just a part of the wreckage of a bad social system and a whole lot of greed. If we would be the church, we must work to win these lost coins. We must go into the highways and hudges and show these coins that they have worth, that they have value. But their recovery, winning their souls, will take a more diligent focus and search by us, the church, who are supposed to be soul winners. And you know what is sad? We crowd our correctional institutions, our foster homes, our facilities, and our adoption centers with souls often more sinned against than sinning. We've got to come up with institutions and dollars and homes and welfare and food for people who are not sinned, but they've been sinned against. And our government agencies have to, have to carry the load. So Jesus says, being lost is like being a helpless sheep alone in the darkness and danger of the night. Then Jesus says, being lost is like a silver coin out of circulation and not doing what the coin was brought into. To do. And thirdly, Jesus says being lost is like being a foolish son with bad attitudes who thinks he can conquer the world and find happiness in a life by leaving father's house. But after wreckage and wasting his life in the pleasures of sin, the Bible said he came to his senses. But wait, wait a minute. He came to his senses? Yeah. He got tired of eating the husk that swine eat. He got tired of living in the pig pen. He got tired of living a life without God, without the benefits, without all the lovely things of Father's house. He had to learn the hard way that the broad way is the wrong way. I'm here to tell you, if you're young, you're going to be tempted to want. You kids, you are, you are the targeted generation. The devil knows if he can get you, he's got the rest of the generations that come down the pike. Don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. Don't fall for that. So then he tells a story about the prodigal son. He comes to himself and he says, in my father's house, there are all kinds of pleasant, pleasant term things. There are all kinds of wonderful things. In my father's house, I'm loved. In my father's house, I'm fed. 
In my father's house, I'm protected. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. There is a fourth parable that's overlooked in Luke, the 15th chapter. I want to read it to you in verse 25. Now, here's another kind of lost. Now, his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked, What do these things mean? And he said unto them, Thy brother is come home, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. He was angry just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was angry. He was living in father's house, and he was angry. He was enjoying a good life, and he was angry. Now listen carefully. Let's keep reading. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, you know what this guy's problem as soon as you hear him talk. Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandments, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And look at the father's answer. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. He was saying to that elder brother, you've got no reason to get mad. You've got no reason to be jealous. You've got no reason. This my son who was dead is now alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And you're unhappy? Jesus is making a strong point. And I'm going to try to unravel it. And what we see in the fourth parable, the elder brother, the worst type of lostness is not the lost sheep, the lost coin, nor the prodigal son. The worst kind of lostness is to be in the house, but lost. Look at verse 15, 1 and 2. I just read it to you. The publicans, they all drew, the sinners all drew near the Christ. 
but the Pharisees and the scribes were mad. And they're accusing Jesus for trying to help sinners. Jesus is teeing off on the religious folks who are lost, who are unconscious of their own sins, though all too quickly to point out the sin of his brother, that prodigal renegade. He is utterly lacking in the social sense of unity and sees himself as the lone ranger, this elder brother, rather than a loyal member of the family of God, he has trouble with his brother coming home and getting saved. You want to know why? One of the main reasons why we had such a dynamite camp meeting It was because churches, one church who believed this way and the other church that believed that way came together and displayed unity. And when God saw unity, he opened up the windows of heaven and poured blessings out. On his people. We fight over this. We fight over that. This one don't look like this one. And that one don't look like that church. And that one says this. And that one says that. And that one teaches this. And that one teaches that. The worst thing the devil did. Is when that second beast came up out of the earth. Had two horns. And it looked like a lamb. But it spake as a dragon. When man got into religion. That's when everything went to Hades. And you got legalistic churches. They don't even come close to manifesting the love of God. All they're interested in is that you don't do this and you don't do that. And you don't look like this and you don't look like that. That's not the issue. The issue is are you saved or are you lost? And so we couldn't get together, and to this day, there are so many religions, so many churches, so many doctrines. These poor sinners out here, they don't even know which way to turn. He's utterly lacking. He's utterly lacking in a social sense, I'm repeating, of unity. And he sees himself as the lone ranger rather than a loyal member of the family of God. The prodigal didn't waste his money on himself, but he devoured it on harlots and such. But the elder brother is only looking out for himself. And if the truth were known, Church of God, it was only his religious prudence that kept him from debauchery and righteous living. The deeper truth, he was envious of his brother because he could go out and sow his wild oats and have a good old time in the world and still get back to God. 
There's a lot of that in the pews of our churches all over America. And so to cover up their motives, they start hammering judgment upon people that are out there. Hammering judgment upon the sinners and the whole time, deep down inside, they're a little envious that they couldn't go out and have a good time. There's so much depth and truth in, this, in these parables, it's astounding. All this other uh, elder brother wanted was to retain was the material and wealthy benefits of father's house and looks upon the prodigal's return with a mean and ugly jealousy because his brother appeared to have the best of both worlds and he resented it. He went out and had his fling and he came back to God. And God forgave him. This elder brother appeared to appreciate moral standards, but his eye was evil because his father was mighty to save. The elder brother was even ready to scold his father for his great love and grace towards forgiving his prodigal son. He told the father, hey, I've been here, I've been living, I obeyed every commandment, I, I crossed every T, dotted every I, and you never did a, a, had a kid for me. A lot of that exists in our churches today. Unfortunately, Bob, unfortunately. Jonah, he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He knew they were ugly, they were hateful, they were crazy people. They destroyed their young, like we're destroying them today in America. And he just walked through Nineveh, 40 days to determine God's going to destroy this place. Boom, he got out of there. Man, he said, thank God I'm done with that assignment. And the king, God melted his heart, put everybody in sackcloth and ashes. Men, women, children, and even the animals. And they started to pray. And God withstood his hand of judgment upon Nineveh. God would have destroyed Nineveh in a moment's time. But that's not God's heart. And that shouldn't be our heart. And I want to tell you something. A lot of God's good people are very tempted. We are being bred to hate. Hate what's going on in our government. But we've got to be careful that we separate our hate from policies and people because they're lost. They're lost. When I listen to some of these people talk on TV, I want to throw a rock right through the screen. But we're being... Conditioned to hate God's creations. And we've got to look at them and we've got to understand. We've got to love the sinner but hate his sin. And that could be a good reason 
why we're not as good at winning souls as we ought to be. I'm not going to go out there, try to witness to one of those scumbags. I don't want nothing to do with them. Go to hell, all of you. Go to hell. We're being conditioned by the conditions that surround us. The elder brother appeared to appreciate moral standards, but his eye the whole time was evil. And even had the nerve to think his father. He said to his father, you should appreciate me. You should pat me on the shoulder. You should laud me for not acting like that scumbag brother of mine. And here the blow, and here's the blow Jesus wanted to make to the Pharisees and the scribes. They were just like the elder brother. They couldn't receive sinners and eat with them because they were whited sepulchers on the outside and full of dead men's bones on the inside, religious hypocrites who fell very short of the love of God for sinners. And note that while the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost prodigal all had happy, saved endings, the elder brother is left unresponsive to the final appeal of the father's love. That's where the literal Jews are today. And the tragic issue, these par parables are clearly foreshadowing for both Jews and Gentiles in our day because our loving God is still leaving the door of hope open. The father had his say. The elder brother never answered it. But the father left the door open just like he was watching for the prodigal son, he was now going to have to watch for this son. But he was in the house, didn't know he was lost. Think of it, church. Let me close. Jesus told these stories to the self-righteous religious crowds of his day to show them what God was really like. Because of the freedom he gives men and women, he experiences the pain Whenever a soul is lost, when God loses you to Satan, he is like the shepherd responsible for every sheep who braves every danger and faces every enemy. And here's the point from God's perspective. You are worth fighting for. And like the woman who lost the coin, you are worth searching for. And like the prodigal son, God is like a broken-hearted father who watches the road for your return. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to find himself, to show himself strong to that one whose heart is perfect towards him. You are worth fighting for. Your children that are lost are worth fighting for. They are worth searching for. And they are worth waiting for. Too often lost people are pictured as bad people. But these parables let us know lost sinners 
Every human being created in God's image is precious to God. I'm closing with this. I'm going to, I'm going to, God bless you. Now look at verse 4. I'm going to close with this. I want you to really pay attention. Underline it. What man of you? The, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes started murmuring, didn't like what Jesus was doing because he was eating with sinners, because he received sinners, because he was putting an arm around sinners and hugging them, letting them know that he loved them. And then he said in verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? By this illustration of the shepherd and the sheep, Jesus answered the Pharisees and scribes who criticized him for ministering among the people of ill repute. Do you know why? Do you know why Jesus went and ate with sinners? Why he received sinners? Why he told Zacchaeus, come on down, I'm coming over to have lunch with you? It was an appeal to the human instinct of pity and compassion and God's love for lost souls. They had no pity, religious people. They had no compassion, religious people. They had no time for God, religious people. No time for sinners, religious people. If the world can have pity on extinct birds, animals, and insects and bear the expense and pain to save them, how much more should we have towards the human lost sheep of this world who are being ravaged by sin? How come we're not stopping the murder of 65 million babies? How come we're not raising all kinds of cane? How come we're not calling it what it is? Murder. You know what the difference was between Jesus and those hard-hearted Pharisees? They stood for a religion. Whereas Jesus became the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. All these man-made religions in and of themselves never saved anybody's soul. What men need is not religion merely, but redemption. Not some new gimmick to save souls, but regeneration. Not a new ethic or off-the-wall doctrine teaching, but a new life. Not just some new system, but a savior. Jesus' appeal in Luke 15 is showing us a seeking savior. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. It's an appeal, and that's what I make now. It's an appeal to the church to keep alive your instincts of pity and compassion and love for those out there who are lost. We are being hardened. We don't even want to spend the time to go after them. They're so filthy. They're so ungodly. They're so rebellious. 
But that's the assignment God gave us. It's an appeal to the church to keep alive their love for the lost. Keep alive your compassion. Keep alive your instincts for people that are struggling. And a defense against self-righteous believers lost in legalism and religious pride. But it is much more. It is a parable of golden truth showing us the heart of the Son of God himself. Sherm, come on. Let's sing a song. It's this, listen carefully, it's this that gives this parable one of the greatest truths in the Bible. It's saving souls. It's saving souls that makes you and I most like Jesus. Keep in mind, the shepherd in the parable is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the only Savior of the world. And what do we find him doing in the parable and in these illustrations? In all these illustrations, you see God is seeking to find that which was lost. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Look at the divine compassion of our God. Note the math. The math is astounding here. He leaves the 90 and 9 to save one. Let that sink in. He left the 90 and 9 to save one. He's making the truth plain that the motive of the shepherd's seeking is compassion. You would think the loss of one out of 100 wouldn't be an urgent matter. The shepherd could have said, oh, he's gone. The wolf got him. They're going to eat him up. He's one. I still got 99. Forget you. But the Bible's policy is no child left alone. No child left behind. Every soul is valuable. And so he left the 90 and 9. And he went after the one. He did it to save one little lamb. Why? Because every sheep in the fold, every sheep in every church is dear to our Lord. Oh, the love that sought us. Oh, the blood that bought us. Yes, the lost sheep is only one out of 100, but it shows us a deep truth. The shepherd's motive is compassion, not self-interest. This is my burden this morning, Church of God. We must become better. We must become better at winning souls. 
And we must recognize And we must ask God to forgive us for overlooking this ultimate task of winning souls. Probably most of us in here are like the lost sheep, just nibbling ourselves away from the thing that God has really called us to do. We cross paths every day. What, 50, 20, 30, 50, 100 people every day? We can't figure a way to say something to somebody. Ask a question, do you have a church home? What do you think about all this that's going on in America? Do you get the feeling that God has abandoned our country? There are a hundred ways to say something. But we're so caught up, so distracted. We're worrying about this. We got to do this. We got to do that. Got to cut the lawn. We got to go over here. Take the kids here and there. Do this, do that. And we're missing the opportunity to walk as he walked. It's to win souls. Yes, the lost sheep is only one out of 100. But it shows us a deep truth. The shepherd's motive is to save souls no matter what to show compassion and love no matter what and not merely self-interest. We must become better at winning souls and perhaps we need to ask God to forgive us for overlooking this tax, task that Jesus called us to. And perhaps we ought to take a moment to pray and ask God to make us soul winners. You agree? It's not that we're bad people. It's that we're busy people. We've got all kinds of irons, all kinds of things going on in our lives. And we pass by sinners every single day. We can walk through Walmart and we can see mothers struggling, single mothers struggling with their kids. Their kids telling them to go F themselves and they're swearing back at their kids. We can see what sin is doing. And all they need is somebody to just take a moment and say, it must be hard raising children today. I'm going to pray for you. Do you have any burdens that you'd like for me to pray? I've talked to waitresses. Others of you talk to waitresses, and they come up to take an order, and someone at the table would say, do you have any burdens you'd like for us to pray for? And waitresses have started crying right there on the spot because people are so heavy and so burdened down. How many of us are here? Two, three hundred now and then? 
if we can all start trying to win souls, this place will come alive. You see, when these mothers have new babies, they don't even pay attention to the preaching. Oh, and they're looking at their babies. There's joy when there's new babies found. Amen? Let's have some babies. And you'll watch the joy. You'll watch the joy and the happiness. Amen. Come into our midst. That's my burden. It just hit me. I didn't know what to preach. I was struggling. And it just came to me. It's time for the church to become soul winners. But it isn't going to happen without us taking a moment to ask God to forgive us. Not for anything bad we did, just for being unaware. God help us and lead us. Help us to bump into that one that needs to hear something from God. And we're all equipped with the same thing, a testimony. We all have our testimonies. We were lost, but now we're found. We were drunk, but now we're sober. We were this, but now we're that. Let's start winning souls. Let's start doing a better job of it. Amen? Would you like to stand? God bless you. Let's take a moment. And if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you've got in on some secrets of what goes on in Father's house. Sometimes the saints need to pray. Sometimes the saints need an adjustment. But if you don't know the Lord, your future is very dark. Your future is going to be a frightening moment. But you can get saved today. All you have to do is say, Lord, I'm lost. And I want to be found. When I prayed in Schenectady, New York, and Reverend Cherubini, my pastor from the Presbyterian Church, he prayed with me in, in public in front of my grandmother. I was embarrassed. I couldn't focus. But when he left, I went into my bedroom, got down on my knees, and I prayed. And this is what I prayed. God, I don't even know if there is a God. I don't even know if there's a Jesus. I don't even know what's going on. But I know this. If you're there, I want you to save me. And I was on my knees, and the presence of God was so strong, I thought he was standing right behind me, and I turned around to look. I felt him that strong. And God saved me. And he took me from the guttermost to the uttermost. He took me from a kid that was just wild and crazy, and he put me behind a pulpit. I can't believe the things that he has done in my life. And that's what you got to tell those you run into. Let's take a moment and pray, church. Let's pray. Let's really pray that God will make us soul winners.
you'll see this church grow by leaps and bounds. There are any others that need to pray? Come on. God bless you. Not going to hold you long, but I don't want you to leave without receiving something from God.